it was actually refreshing to be able to sit and and just worship with you guys and then just hear the word brought. It was just powerful, man. And, and not only was it, um, did Joel kill it, but it was such a powerful scripture text that he talked about last week, don't you think? Like the beginning of John, that first, um, that first 18 verses in John is one of the most beautiful passages in the scripture. Like, I mean, I love the whole Bible. Like as a pastor, you're supposed to, right? Like it's kind of part of the gig. If you don't, you probably shouldn't be doing this. But but that beginning in John is so, so powerful that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Like, it's so incredible. And I love the end. Let me, the, the way that he finishes it off, when he says, and no one has seen God, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, but the one who is at the Father's side has revealed him. And so what Joel preached about last week was this beautiful introduction and basically the kind of the mission statement of the Gospel of John, where he talks about the, the Word became flesh. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and no one had ever seen God until they saw who? Jesus. And when Jesus came down and when they met Jesus, they not only did they see Jesus, but they saw God because Jesus was God. And it's so beautiful and powerful, and I love it, man. I love it. And so in the beginning was this beautiful mission statement, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh, for us to know him, for us to learn from him, for us to walk with him, for us to experience him. I love it, man. I love it. And so last week, if last week was the mission statement, John basically opened up and saying, here's where we're going to go. Here's what we're going to talk about. This incredible Jesus Christ, the one who became flesh, God dwelling among us. This week we get into his life. And so John begins to talk about the life of Jesus and essentially say, I broke it down for you in the beginning. I, I told you who he was in the beginning. And now I'm going to walk you through his life so that you can, in a way, experience him with me. So that you can learn from him with me. So that you can know him with me. And I love it because kind of the two overarching themes of this book, if you look at the, the book of John, the gospel of John, two of the overarching themes are revelation and redemption, which is why we have, well, it's not up there. Never mind. <laughs> the story of heaven on earth, revelation and redemption was, and what it is is the story of God revealing himself to mankind, us being able to know God through the person of Jesus Christ, and then his journey to the cross, as not only does he reveal God to us, but he redeems us. And it's a beautiful picture of our Savior, a beautiful picture of our God. And, and as we walk through the gospel of John over these next however long, I mean, it took us three months to get through Philippians, so hopefully it doesn't take us a couple years, but we'll see. We never know, right? You never know. We're going to finish the first chapter today, which is pretty impressive. We got, we're getting through it a lot faster than we did in the Philippians. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. But as we walk through this, what you're going to see is Jesus revealed to us. We're going to see over and over stories of his life and God, the Bible pointing to him as God. We're going to see him revealed. So if you're a skeptic, this is a great book for us to walk through. If you're somebody who's saying, man, I'm, I'm on the fence, like I, I, I want to believe in Jesus, I want to know him, we're going to walk through and you're going to see pictures of God throughout this, throughout this book. And then you're going to see redemption. You're going to see the story of Jesus redeeming mankind. 
And so today we're going to kind of kick off really what's kind of a, still an introduction to the book. We're going to meet a guy named John the Baptist, who's not the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. That's a different John. That's one of Jesus' disciples. But we're going to meet John the Baptist, who was um, the kind of a forerunner of Jesus. And we'll, we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. But we are going to be covering a lot today. So it's it's like 40 verses. I was giving it to Joel and he was like, are you kidding me? How are you going to get through this? But so what I'm going to do is actually what's happening is, is I couldn't break it up because it's all one story. And so I wanted to keep the story together. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the story, which covers about four days. And so we're going to break it up kind of like a movie, right? So there's going to be scene one, scene two, scene three, scene four, day one, day two, day three, day four uh, is kind of how we're going to do it. We're going to see um, how John walks us through John the Baptist and then uh, the response to John the Baptist. Because what's going on is John the Baptist is revealing Jesus as God. And then we're going to watch and see how people respond to that revelation, how people respond to Jesus. So scene one, as we open up, we're going to start in John chapter one, verse 19. And scene one is this John the Baptist guy. He's calling people to repent. He's telling them that there's this Jesus guy coming, and he's telling them that they need to get baptized. So as you can imagine, that starts to kind of draw a lot of attention to himself. This guy going around saying, y'all need to repent and get baptized. He begins to draw a bunch of attention to himself, and you see some important people show up to have a conversation with him. We see some important people come on the scene and want to know, what exactly are you doing here, man? So I'm just going to start, I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 19. It says, this is John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? He did not refuse to answer, but he declared, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you a prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? Who the heck are you, man? They asked, we need to give an answer to those who sent us so that we can tell us about yourself. So what can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or a prophet? I baptize with water, John said, answered them. Someone stands among you, but you, do not, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandals straps I am not worthy to untie. And all this happened in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptizing. So John the Baptist is here, and he's, he's, John the Baptist is known as the forerunner of Jesus, the forerunner of Christ. And so what that means is he's the guy who comes before Jesus, who's pointing to the coming of the Messiah. It's, it's kind of cool because it's, it's prophesied in the Old Testament that there's going to be this guy that comes before the guy. There's going to be this, this forerunner, the guy who goes before and proclaims the coming Messiah, uh, and so this is John the Baptist. He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one that, that goes before. And it's interesting, what I love about the, the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is oftentimes they're all telling the same story, but they're telling it from different perspectives. And so what we have here is one perspective of John the Baptist, but if you look at some of the other uh, Gospels, they give, it's the same story, but they give you a little bit more details. And we learn some things about this guy. Like, he's kind of a crazy looking dude. He's kind of an interesting guy. Like they, one of them says that um, he's dressed in camel skins. And he's eating like honey and bugs and stuff and like coming out of the wilderness. Like he's the kind of guy, if you saw him coming, you'd like grab your kids. And you're like, okay, let's go this way. Let's get, get away from the crazy man, right? Because you don't know what he's going to do. 
So you got this John the Baptist guy wearing camel skins, eating like honey, saying you need to repent and get baptized. There's somebody coming. There's Jesus is coming. As you can imagine, if nothing else, he's going to draw some attention to himself, right? Like if I was standing out in front of the theater dressed in camel skins, eating honey, you need to repent. People would be like, they're probably going to remove me after a certain amount of time. But, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to be drawing some attention to myself. So he shows up and he's telling people they need to get to repent. He's drawing a lot of, of attention. And not only is he drawing a lot of attention because of what he's saying, but what he's doing. He's telling Jewish people that they need to get baptized. You say, well, why, what's, so, what's the big deal about that? In the Jewish religion, the Jews didn't get baptized. What happened is the people that got baptized were the Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, um, that's basically in the Jewish religion, there was Jews and then everybody else. And everybody else is the Gentiles. So unless you're Jewish in here today, you would be considered a Gentile, right? And so anyways, what they would do is instead of the Jews getting baptized, they would baptize the Gentiles when they wanted to become a Jew. And so what's, what's going on, what's freaking these guys out, is there's this John the Baptist guy who's baptizing Jews. It didn't make any sense. And so they say, we're going to go find out what's going on with this guy. They want to know, is he the Messiah? Is he claiming to be God? And also, the second part of that is they just want to know, like, is he crazy? Like, is he like a, this doomsday prophet? Like, you guys ever been to downtown Dallas or Fort Worth, and there's those people with the signs on that say, like, you're all going to hell? Did you get saved in that? I was just curious. Paul, did that work for anybody? No, okay. It didn't work for me either. I'm like, one time we were in Fort Worth, and uh, this has nothing to do with anything, but we were in Fort Worth, and there's these people preaching, you're going to hell, and like handing me this, you're going to hell. I'm like, dude, I'm a pastor. Like, I'm, I'm pretty sure we're on the same side here. But anyway, so they're, they're, they're showing up trying to figure out who this John the Baptist guy is. And so the Jewish leadership, they send like this group of people, and their job is to find out who is this guy, what's going on with him. They think maybe he's claiming to be the Messiah, maybe a doomsday prophet. And so they ask him all these questions. They say, who are you? He says, I'm not the Messiah. Are you a prophet? Not a prophet. Are you Elijah? Which was an older prophet, like reincarnated. You, is Eli you Elijah come back? I'm not. <laughs> and essentially they say, well, who the heck are you? Because we got to tell our bosses what's going on here. And what I love is John the Baptist quotes the Old Testament. So he throws it back to Isaiah 43, which says, I am a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. What he does when they ask him, who are you, is he quotes the prophecy about himself. That's pretty cool that, I mean, I wish I had a prophecy about myself in the Bible. Don't you? Like, that would be a pretty neat thing to have. So John the Baptist has some prophecies talking about him, the forerunner, the person who's going to come. And what's really cool is he's basically saying, I'm here fulfilling the prophecy. And guess what that means for you? That means the Messiah is coming. That means the Savior's coming. That means God is coming. And then he essentially is saying, I'm the tool that God is using to point to the one who's coming. The one who's coming. And he says, whose bootstraps or whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. I'm not even worthy to untie his sin. And what he's saying, essentially, is the one who's coming after me is so great, is so holy, is so powerful, is so amazing. I'm not even worthy to be his slave. I'm not even worthy to be his servant. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. As you can imagine, the guys are like flabbergasted. <laughs> that would be a crazy conversation. So that's scene one. Day one, people showing up going, John the Baptist, who the heck are you, man? 
He says, basically, I'm nobody, but the person who's coming after me is the guy you want to know. Scene two, Jesus shows up. Verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes one who surpasses me because he existed before me and I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I watched the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. And I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see, the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that he is the son of God. So in scene two, we see the coming of Jesus. In scene, scene A, the first scene, John the Baptist is saying, he's on his way, he's coming. Scene two, he shows up. This is the first time in John we actually see Jesus. He shows up and I love what he says. He shouts out, he proclaims for everyone, here is the lamb of God, the one who's come to take away the sins of the world. And why this is such a big deal, like why this, this, this language that John the Baptist uses isn't accidental is because what he's doing is actually pointing to the future. He's pointing to the reason why Jesus has come. He's come as a, the Lamb of God to die on the cross for you and for me. Now, John the Baptist doesn't know how this is going to go down. He doesn't know that there's going to be a cross. He doesn't know that Jesus is going to die. But what he does know is the prophecies in the Old Testament. We're going to talk a little bit about the Old Testament today. The prophecies in the Old Testament. Now, what would happen in the Old Testament days was if, they, um, if there was a time where they needed to repent of sins or they had different kind of ceremonies where they would make sacrifices. And what those sacrifices were for um, were essentially to repent of sin or for um, forgiveness of sin to God. But it was only a temporary thing. It wasn't a final fix. But what the Old Testament prophesied about was that one day God was going to send the final lamb. One day he was going to send a lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world to forgiveness of sin so that we could all be healed and find hope and life. And what John the Baptist does is as soon as he sees Jesus, he's saying the lamb of God that you've been hoping for, the lamb. Now, remember, he's speaking to Jewish people who would know these prophecies. The lamb of God, the one that you've been hoping for, the one that you've been looking for, there's the lamb of God who's come to do what? To take away the sins of the world. He says, I come baptizing with water so that he might be revealed. So John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and he points out some incredible things about Jesus. He declares that he's the son of God. He's the one that you've been hoping for. He's the one that you've been looking for. He proclaims Jesus is here and he proclaims that he's the one who's gonna bring the Holy Spirit by which we can get saved and find hope in Jesus. It's this beautiful picture of the Savior who is here, the Savior who has arrived, the Savior that they've been looking for. Scene three. So scene one, we see this picture of John the Baptist saying he's coming. Scene two, we see Jesus saying he's here. Scene three is we see the response to that. Because I think what's important isn't just head knowledge about Jesus being God or knowing that he's God or thinking that he's God, learning about him, but how we respond to that knowledge about God, how we respond to our experience with God. So here we are in verse 35. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he proclaims again, here he is, the Lamb of God. Then two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. 
So when Jesus turned and noticed them following them, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him and it was about 10 in the morning. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. His, he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means anointed one. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. So in this third scene, on this third day, we see Jesus again. And what John the Baptist does is he's kind of started to acquire his own followers, his own disciples at this point, right? And so when he sees Jesus, he points to Jesus to his disciples and says, there he is, the Lamb of God. There he is. And so what happens is his disciples say, well, we're going to follow Jesus now. And what do they do? The Bible says Jesus is walking by, and they literally just start walking behind him. <laughs> they literally just go, all right, here we go, which if you could imagine would be an interesting scene, right? Like they're just going to, all right, we're not following you. Now we're just going to walk behind this guy until Jesus finally turns around and says, what are you doing? Or, or not what are you doing, but he turns around and says, what are you looking for? And I thought that that was actually a really interesting question, don't you? Jesus sees these guys following behind him. They just literally just leave John the Baptist and say, we're just going to walk behind this guy for a while. And Jesus turns around and his question is, what are you looking for? I love that question because I think it relates to myself. I think it relates to all of us, really, because what happens in our lives is at some point in our life, we show up at the footsteps of Jesus or we show up at the doorstep of Jesus and we're there looking for something. It might be hope. It might be forgiveness. It might be life. It might be purpose. It might just be something to believe in. I had one guy one time talking to me about going to church and he said his reason for getting back into church was just the last time my life, things were going good in my life was when I had a relationship with Jesus. And that was his reason for showing up at the footsteps of Jesus. But I think that's so, I, I just love the way that Jesus just kind of cuts through that. He, people show up and he says, what are you looking for? Because the truth is when we come to the footsteps of Jesus, we come to the doorstep of Jesus, we're looking for something. And honestly, it might not even be the most Christian thing, right? It might not even be like a good reason to show up at church or a good reason to show up to know Jesus, but what happens is when we meet him and he says, what are you looking for? We end up changed. What, what, what is your need today, right? Like, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the different people that we have in our church and how we all are in different situations in life. We all have so many different things going on. But if like Jesus came in here today and he asked you, what is it that you're looking for today? I want you to know the answer to that question. I want you to be able to lay it before his feet and say, Jesus, here's my need. Here's what I'm looking for. And I love his response. He says, what are you looking for? They don't even answer him. They say, where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying. And Jesus responds, come and you'll see. Essentially, he says, follow me. And, and what's cool about his response is that it's not just an invitation to a house. He's not like, I'm staying at Martha's, y'all come on. It's an invitation to follow him with their lives. This phrase, come and see, it, it, it literally means come and see, essentially follow 
see, remain. That's the idea behind that phrase. Come and see, follow, see, remain. It's not like just come out and hang out for a little bit. It's come, experience, stay. It's follow, give your life to me. Where I go, you go. Live an open-handed life that says where I call you to, this is where we go. How we spend our money, how we live in our house, how we spend our time. He says, follow me. Where you go, I go. See, experience me. Know me. See life, walk through life with me, and then finally remain, be in relationship with me. I love that because he's, he's not just saying, come on and just, just watch me for a little bit. He's saying, follow me, experience me, remain in me. I love that. And then something really cool happens after that. It's almost like a promise if we do this, if we follow Jesus. <laughs> he gives Peter or he gives Simon a new name, which is kind of, don't you think that's kind of interesting that he like meets these guys for the first time and he's like, you are now Cephas. Okay. <laughs> but this is actually really a beautiful thing. Like in the Bible, names are really important. And oftentimes in the Bible, we'll see people get renamed. Like we'll see God rename people. And he's doing it for a purpose. He's doing it for a reason. It's not like just, you know, Mike's not really my, I don't really like Mike, you're Jeff now. He's not doing that. What he's doing is he's seeing something in you or he's calling you to something or he's almost proclaiming something over your life, pulling out a trait saying, this is who you're going to be. This is who you're going to be. And so he calls uh, Simon, who is also known as Peter. I know the Bible is confusing sometimes. It gives people, they get different names, or not different names, but they get renamed, stuff like that. So Simon Peter is the same guy. But he says, from now on, you're not Simon, but you're the rock, which is an awesome nickname right? Like, I wish somebody would be like, Mike, the rock, right? Like, no, they're like, Mike, short, bald guy. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but he renames him, he says, rock. And what he's speaking to is who Peter's going to be. He's speaking to, you're going to be a, a rock. You're going to be a foundation of my church. You're going to be strong. You're going to be sturdy. And this is so significant. It's an honor. Like naming something is an honor. And it speaks authority into their life. So Jesus is speaking authority over him saying, this is who you're going to be. But what's interesting about Peter is like, that's not who we know Peter to be, is it? Like if you, if you read the New Testament, you read the Gospels, what we see about Peter is he's like this hot-headed um, guy who Jesus so often is like, Peter, shut up, right? I mean, well, he doesn't say that, but that's essentially what's going on. He's like, Peter, come on, man. We see like this hot-headed dude who at one point tells Jesus, right, what, I'm going to follow you to the point of death, Jesus. They're not going to take you. I'm going to the point of death. And as soon as Jesus gets, gets arrested, Peter's like, I don't know him. Not me. Not my guy. I don't know. I don't even know Jesus. Jesus? What, what does that mean? Is that a name? What is that, right? But what he's not, Jesus isn't doing is he's not talking to who Peter is. He's talking to who Peter is going to be. And what we see is a picture of Jesus saying, follow, experience, remain, and be transformed. Be changed. Because the thing about it is you can't follow Jesus with your life and not be changed. You can't follow Jesus with your life and not be transformed. Follow, see, remain, be transformed. Jesus isn't speaking to who he is, but who he will be. And who do we see Peter become? 
We see Peter, after Pentecost, we see Peter stand up preaching. We see people by the thousands getting saved. We see Peter being one of the earliest, the most great leaders in the early church. We see Peter being the rock, don't we? Isn't that who we want to be when God calls you and says, I see you being this kind of husband. I see you this be, being this kind of wife, this kind of father, this kind of mom, this kind of friend, this kind of disciple, this kind of Christian. And you say, I can't get there, man. I can't be that. I'll never find that. I'll never. Yes, you can. And yes, you will if you follow him day by day. Step. And I know it's hard sometimes, right? Like sometimes the only thing you can do is go take the next step and go, this is where I know I'm supposed to be. This is what I know I'm supposed to do today and take that step. And guess what happens? If you put enough of those steps together, one, two, three, four, eventually you know what's going to happen is you're going to see yourself becoming that person who God has called you to be the person that he says, I know you can be this person. And what happens is we have a life that's transformed by the gospel, a life that's transformed by Jesus. So keep following daily, step by step, be transformed, and know that Peter is one of the most encouraging examples that we can look at in the Bible. Because this guy was a perennial screw-up, man. Like, if we're just going to be honest about it, perennial screw-up. Like myself, right? Like, my wife will tell you, Mike's an idiot half the time, right? But who I also am is someone who's being transformed by Jesus daily, hopefully. And that's who God calls us to be. That's what he wants to do in your life. We don't see God leave Peter who he is, but we see God transform his life. And so in scene three, we see this beautiful picture of God, of Jesus saying, you want to know where I'm going? Come follow me. Give your life to me. Have be in relationship with me and be transformed by me. Scene four. Starting in verse 43. The next day, he decided to leave for Galilee. Jesus found Philip and told him, follow me. So he's heading out, tells Philip, say, come on, Philip. Now, Philip was from Bethesda, Bethsaida, excuse me, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, the Old Testament, the prophecies. And again, I love, I love uh, this guy, Philip, because he's excited, man. Like he's telling people, man, you got to come meet this guy. He's grabbing Nathanael. You got to come find Jesus, man. You got to come see Jesus. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. What does Philip say? Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said about him, Here is the true Israelite. No deceit is in him. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe only because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I assure you, we'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. That's powerful stuff, man. The Bible is pretty cool, huh? <laughs> So Jesus leaves Galilee. He brings Philip with him. He said, come on, Philip, we're going. Philip gets pumped. He's telling everybody he can about Jesus. And then we see this Nathaniel guy get snarky. Can anything good, can anything good come out of there? And what that was was essentially like a city rivalry, right? Like I went to LD Bell, and the most famous thing about LD Bell is people say, what's that smell? LD Bell. Yeah, I know. I've heard it. If you're not from here, you don't know. 
right? But it's like this city rivalry because the town that Jesus was from wasn't really known as like this great town, this very good town. And so he's like, that place, can anything good come out of there? It's like this look down on town. And I love Philip because Philip just says the same thing Jesus says. Come and see, baby. Come and see. And I think it's really cool. Like it's not an accident that he says that because there's no equivalent to just coming and seeing. Like if there's people that are skeptics, which we've all been at some point, there's people that are struggling in their faith. That If you're somebody that's wondering, like, is this all true? Like, I can't preach this thing good enough. Like, I'm just not that great of a preacher. I can't, like, teach good enough. There's no knowledge. We can, we can sit here and we can debate all day, and nothing will be as powerful to, and transformative as you just coming and seeing, as you just coming and experiencing the Savior. Like you can talk and debate and parse the scriptures and like, like teach it exegetically and like do all this kind of stuff. There's no equivalent to experiencing God. You walk in the doors, you feel him, you know him, you experience him, you leave transformed, you leave changed. There's no argument anymore, right? It's over. It's done. So Philip says, come and see, baby. Come and see. Nathaniel comes and when he gets there, I love Jesus is awesome, man. When he, he gets there, he's like, all right, fine, I'll come check it out. He shows up, and essentially, Jesus pulls out the God card. <laughs> Bam, there it is. He shows up, and Jesus is like, hey, you know how you were at that fig tree the other day, and no one was around, no one saw you? Yeah, I knew you were there. I saw you. Like, that would essentially somebody being like, hey, uh, Mike, yesterday at 2.30, you were watching Sports Center eating popcorn at the house, and you dropped one and fell under the cushion, and you couldn't get to it, so you just left it there? <laughs> that did not happen, Katie, I promise. I'd be like, do you have cameras in my house? Like, freak, get away from me, right? Essentially what Jesus does is pulls out the God card. Philip, or Nathaniel's walking up. He's being skeptical. Ain't no good things come from this town. And Jesus is like, really? Yesterday under the fig tree, I knew you were there. Boom, God card. You can't beat that, right? And Nathaniel freaks out, essentially. He goes from saying nothing good can come from this place to calling Jesus every like respectable, holy name under the book. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel, right? Like, okay, I'm so sorry, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, he's like, only God, man. The Messiah is here. And again, Jesus is just awesome. His response, oh, you thought that was impressive? because I knew you were under a fig tree. It says, follow me, man, and you're going to see angels descending and ascending on the Son of Man. You follow me, and you're going to see blind men see. You follow me, and you're going to see the deaf here. You follow me, you're going to see me walk up to somebody who's lame and say, get up, and they will. You follow me, and you're going to see me die on the cross, raise myself up from the grave on the third day, and heal the world. Bring hope and peace and life and salvation to mankind. You follow me. You think that fig tree was impressive? <laughs> You're going to see even greater things than this. Woo! Our God is awesome, isn't he? I love Jesus, man. <laughs> so what do we learn from that, right? Like just you doubt Jesus, he's going to pull the God card on you, right? No, I think that there's some pretty specific things that we can take from this, some pretty cool things we can take from this. 
It's kind of, like I said, this is really just our first introduction to Jesus. But what we see in this, just the end of this chapter is we see John the Baptist proclaiming, just in case you were doubting, just in case you were wondering, the Son of God is here. Jesus, God in the flesh, is here. The Lamb of God has come to take away the sins of the world. Here he is. Boom. And then we have a challenge to respond to that. What do we take from that? The call from Jesus is for us to respond by what? Not just being like, okay, cool. No, the, the challenge from Jesus, the correct response from Jesus is come and see. Come and see. Follow me. Give your life to me. No hesitation, open-handed life, all in. Like if you think about it, these guys, I mean, it's it, like I kind of went over, but it's crazy if you think about it. Like they're following John the Baptist and then they just see Jesus and they're like, God in the flesh, see you, John, boom. What did they give up to follow Jesus? Everything. Families, jobs, money, homes. They're just like, like what they recognized was God. And they said, I'm just going after that, man. The rest of it can have it. You can have the rest of it, man. It's the beginning of the call, right? The call to follow him with everything that we are. Open-handed life, which means it's all his. We're just going after Jesus. See, experience him, remain in relationship with him. And if you're on the fence in here today, man, if you're struggling with faith in here today, I just wanna challenge you, come and see. Come and experience the Savior. Come and know him. Come and know him. If you're on the other side of that today and you're in here and you're maybe struggling a little bit, maybe there's things going on. I know in our church, man, we've got people who just have junk going on, man. Like, all right, in our morning huddle this morning, we just had all kinds of prayer requests. People saying this, if nothing else, it's like the flu. Man, Katie and I, three weeks have been like in a room dead, right, with sickness, you know? So don't get too close to me. <laughs> just kidding. There's stuff going on, man. And what happens oftentimes is we get beat down by life, and instead of running to the one who brings life, we fall in the trap and run away from it. We seek other things to bring us comfort, to bring us hope, to bring us peace. And if that's you here today, I want to challenge you. Come and see. Go to him. Go to his footsteps. That thing where he says, what do you need? Why are you here? And pour it out to him and experience him and remain in him. Find encouragement in him. Find hope in him. That, but that means you're going to have to remain. You're going to have to hang out. You're going to have to give it all to him, man. Stay. But if you do, you're going to be like Peter. You're not going to help it, man, but be transformed, but be changed, find hope. And it might hurt a little bit. It might hurt a little bit, but it's the most beautiful thing that could possibly happen to you. The places in my life following Jesus, walking after him, uh, giving it all to him, right? Remaining in him just that day by day. Sometimes it hurts because sometimes he's looking at Mike and he's like, Mike, I don't like what I see here. We got to chop this off. And it hurts when you lose parts of yourself, right? But we become more like Jesus. We become transformed. We become transformed. But what's cool about that, if you're here today and you're going, man, I'm just struggling with that. I'm wearing, bearing these burdens. It's heavy. I, I feel alone. Like Nathaniel, Jesus saw you before you were ever coming. Before you ever, before you ever thought about him, before you even walked through these doors this morning, Jesus saw you and he said, I know your struggle. I know what's going on. I see your doubt. 
I see your worry. I see your frustration. Now come and see. Come and follow. Come and remain. Find hope, peace, life. I saw you before you ever saw me, before you ever thought of me. I was begging you to come. I was drawing you in. And then like that final promise, and if you do, you're gonna see even greater things than this. You're gonna have life transformed. You're gonna need to live the adventurous life of a Christian, which is pretty incredible, which is pretty incredible. And so I just wanna challenge you with that today, man. We, we acknowledge, man, Jesus is our God. Jesus is our savior. But sometimes we stop with the acknowledgement and we quit the come and see part. I want to challenge you today. Come and see if you're struggling today. Come and see if you're worried today. Come and see if you're doubting today. Come and see. Be transformed. Know he's been looking for you before you ever even got there. And know once you do, you're going to be transformed and you're going to experience true life, a transformed life, greater things than you ever thought you could. So today, let's close in worshiping him. And man, maybe if you need to come and see, do it. We're going to have people hanging out in the aisles. If you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, they're there for you. Take the opportunity as we leave just a simple introduction, but such a powerful, powerful text, don't you think? The end of that, so powerful. John invites us to come and see what is being revealed, God in the flesh. And then the challenge is don't just stop by seeing him but, or knowing that he's God in flesh coming and seeing, following him with your life. It's a call to follow Jesus with our lives. Ultimately, it's a call for discipleship. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much. Thank you for this morning, God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the challenge. Thank you for the call to come and see. You're a God who says, come and experience life. Come and experience me. Come and know me. So, Father, I pray that in every single area of our lives, we would be people, we'd be individuals who are willing to come and see. We're willing to give it over to you. We're willing to follow you in it, Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, we ask you to, to be here in this place with us today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.